Um, So this is Luke chapter 19 um, from verse 28. It's on the screen as well. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Great. Can I suggest you keep your Bibles on or open, depending? I'm going to pray. Lord God, we uh, pray that the words that I speak and the thoughts in all of our hearts would uh, speak of you challenge and change us this evening, we pray. Amen. I should have said hello, hello, my name's David, and uh, warm welcome to you, warm welcome to those watching online as well. I wonder uh, whether you've ever heard of something called uh, subliminal advertising or product placement. And once you you realise that companies are constantly trying uh, to push products on you, whether you know it or not, and you start to realise it's everywhere. And sometimes it's really uh, blatant. I watched the new um, Bond film recently uh, with my wife, No Time to Die. Anybody seen No Time to Die? Very few people have seen No Time to Die, or very few people are awake. We're not sure which one it is. Um, it, it, was, it was fine, I guess. It was pretty, pretty good. I quite enjoyed it. Everybody enjoy it if you saw it? Yeah, OK, yeah. Good. But what, what did make me laugh um, was a very small moment when um, James Bond puts his phone down on a table. Now, um, my wife and I were having this conversation earlier. I'm convinced that when you put your phone down on a table, you put it down screen up, right? Yes. Anybody put their phone down screen down? Oh, there's actually quite... Just for Joanna's reference, she's watching this at home, there are actually quite a few hands in the air, so I'm, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. <laughs> But I don't, reckon, I don't reckon many people do that, right? I think that's quite an odd thing to do. And I think the reason he does that is, lo and behold, there's the logo of the phone on the back of the phone. It's the most obvious product placement, if you ask me. 
And an advertising like this is like a hidden message uh, in a scene, and it points in another direction. It points uh, somewhere else without us even thinking about it. And in a funny kind of way, I think uh, that the scene that's played out in our passage uh, today, uh, Palm Sunday, with a donkey and the cloaks on the floor and the crowd and the whole shebang, um, as well as being a nice story and a bit of a boost for fans of donkeys post-Christmas, because you've got to, gone through Christmas and you lost your donkeys out of the Bible, well, they're back. Hooray! Um, it's also a story uh, which points us uh, somewhere else. It has a little bit of um, subliminal hidden advertising, a bit of, um, uh, I guess, uh, product placement in it. Hidden in this season is the answer to the question, just who does this Jesus think he is? In fact, um, this morning uh, at the All Age Service, I delivered this talk with a terrible American accent um, and dressed as a detective, and we hunted this scene for clues. Well, we're not going to be doing that uh, this evening. Uh, You'll be relieved to hear. Uh, No. (laughs) You'll be relieved to hear. You'd miss that. (laughs) Dear, dear. But we're basically going, in some ways, to do the same thing. We're going to zoom in on a few bits of this passage, and we're going to think about who on earth does Jesus think he is. So first of all, what about this crowd? They're they're, um, waving palm leaves, they're throwing cloaks on the ground, although actually in Luke's account, um, there aren't any palm leaves, which is a bit of a tampener on Palm Sunday, isn't it? but, uh, but there are in the other Gospels, and actually this is uh, a story that's told in all four of the Gospels, which makes it a really significant moment, I think, uh, in Jesus' life. What we do have is them spreading their cloaks on the ground. Now, it's an obvious point, but you don't just do that for anybody, do you? You do that for someone pretty special. This is Oscar's treatment. Although I did, as I wrote that, realise that Oscar's treatment nowadays is a little bit different to what it was post (laughs) this year's Oscars. But you know what I'm saying. And uh, there's also one crucial difference um, between Jesus' red carpet moment as they throw the cloaks on the ground and the Oscars. Because when there's an adoring crowd at a premiere or at the Oscars, the red carpet's already there, right? The crowd uh, shout and call and get enthusiastic and they get, you know, the the star to sign uh, whatever it is, the photos or whatever it might be. But what they aren't generally expected to do is supply the carpet. But Mark tells us something a little bit different. Mark tells us that the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. They spread their own cloaks on the road. So here they are taking off their cloaks, taking off their outer garments and putting them down on the ground ahead of Jesus. They're literally laying their personal possessions in front of Jesus. This isn't just like VIP treatment, this is royal treatment because this is the crowd saying, actually, Jesus, you're worthy of our possessions, you're worthy of everything that we have, we're actually going to take off our outer garments and put them in front of you to be trampled on by a donkey. You know, it's exactly what a crowd would do, actually, in in Roman times to welcome uh, an emperor coming into uh, a city. It's treatment for a king. But the crowd is saying, you deserve our very best. Whatever else is going on in our lives, whatever hardship, 
whatever challenges, whatever good things. We're going to lay ourselves. We're going to lay our possessions down, literally, and recognize that you are our king. It's been said a lot, but when we say that Jesus is king, we're saying that other things in our lives are not the king. Our jobs are not the king. Our exams are not the king. Our relationships are not the king. These things are important, but they are not our king. Our time is not our king. Our energy is not our king. Our effort, these are all gifts from God but they are not our king because Jesus is our king. And our challenge is to lay down our cloaks, to lay down before Jesus our ambitions, our hopes, our expectations, how we think our life is going to turn out, the things we have, our hopes. Not to forget these things, not to pretend that they aren't there, but to acknowledge that they aren't the most important thing because Jesus is our king. So that's the first thing I think is being claimed here in this scene, this Palm Sunday scene. Jesus is our king. But then there's a funny detail because Jesus arrives on a donkey. See, I would imagine if a conquering king arrives in a car showroom, what he doesn't do is choose the Honda Jazz. I say that as a former Honda Jazz owner. It was a really great car. It's very practical. I mean, that was basically the headline news, practical, but that's fine. Um, Eventually it got written off. That's another story. But it definitely isn't a king's car. I would expect a king at a car showroom to choose, you know... um, I'm going to have to read these, a Bugatti Chiron or a Koenigsegg. Thank you, Wikipedia. Um, I know very little about cars, but that's fine. Jesus walks into the animal showroom and he chooses, you know, completely the wrong animal. And the horse salesman's tearing his hair out in the background. This guy should be entering town on a war horse. A donkey is not fit for a king. Or is it? Well, actually, in the Bible it is. See, there's a whole history of kings arriving on a donkey. And it's a really powerful symbol, actually, in the Bible, of humility as well as kingliness. These two things together. A humble king. King David in in, uh, 1 Kings 38 rocks up on a donkey. So actually, believe it or not, by choosing a donkey as his ride, Jesus is very definitely saying, yes, I'm a king. But what kind of king? Well, he's not a king, conquering, victorious hero. This isn't a war horse he's chosen in the showroom. No, he's a king coming in peace. In fact, his arrival is bringing a whole kingdom of peace. A kingdom of peace. Well, I was thinking, doesn't it feel at the moment, like we could do with a kingdom of peace. Doesn't peace feel a long way off at the moment? We've seen the pictures on our television screens, haven't we? We've heard the promise of peace. We've heard news about peace talks, and we've heard about peacekeeping missions, but we've also seen 
cities reduced to rubble. We've seen argument and counter-argument. We've seen people having to move because of war. So we're left with a question, I think. If Jesus was bringing peace, then where the heck is that peace? If you're asking yourself that, I think that's a fair question. Or we might want to say, well, maybe the kingdom of peace that Jesus was bringing as he rode into Jerusalem that day was more of a, a personal peace, a calm in our lives, a sense of everything working out. But again, I would guess that for some of us that might feel a very long way off as well. Maybe we're looking at spiralling gas bills and we're feeling a long way from peaceful. Maybe we're facing exams after Easter and we've got that kind of lurch in our stomachs. Maybe we're worried about COVID rates. And you want to shout out right now, where is this King of Peace? But you know, when the Bible talks about peace, it isn't just talking about the absence of war, and it isn't just talking about the absence of worry or difficulty, it's more than that. It's something called shalom. It's everything as it should be, a broken world made right. It's more like completeness, wholeness. My um, three-year-old had a bout of COVID recently, well, we all did, haven't we all? <laughs> and, um, and during that um, period when I was looking after him, we did a lot of jigsaws, a lot of jigsaws. Actually, we did two jigsaws a lot of times, let's be <laughs> honest about this. And one thing you quickly realise when you do a jigsaw with my three-year-old is that it is a serious business. I made the mistake on one occasion of suggesting that maybe we should move on. Um, to be honest, I was getting a bit bored. It is quite boring after sort of five times of the same puzzle. Um, and so I suggested we move on. You should have seen the look of absolute horror on his face. We've not done the last piece, Daddy. Are you mad? People like you make me sick, Daddy. You're a menace to society, Daddy. We need to do the last piece. And as Jesus enters Jerusalem and begins that journey to the cross, that journey that is going to mean he defeats death and sin, He's starting the process of God's peace coming into the world. And he's starting that process of shalom and completeness. And he's finishing the puzzle. And while it feels a long way off, even now it feels a long way off, we can know that Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem as a king of peace on that donkey. And that peace that once felt a long way off is coming into view in the shape of the cross. Just a few more puzzle pieces to go. In John's Gospel, Jesus spells it out. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Oh, come on now, Jesus. Don't tell me that. <laughs> but he goes on, take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus says, I found the last piece. It's going in. So Jesus, the king, is coming, and he's coming as a king of peace. But lastly, he's coming as a king that demands our praise. 
So I think to that last bit of the passage, there's some Pharisees, some religious um, bigwigs, and they, they see the crowd getting all noisy around Jesus, and they say to Jesus, um, you know, tell off your disciples, rebuke them. What are they doing? They're getting out of hand. They're pretending you're a king. They're saying you're coming on behalf of God himself, and this is unacceptable. Tell them off. Please, Jesus. And Jesus replies, well, I, I could do. But then the stones would start shouting my name instead. There'd be a proper rock concert. I write all my own material, by the way. <laughs> Jesus demands our praise. Jesus demands the praise of all creation. The crowd shouting for Jesus isn't something odd or off kilter or weird or wrong. It is people doing exactly what people were made to do. See, Jesus is God's son. There at creation. Those of you who were with us uh, a few months ago, beginning of the year, remember we looked a little bit at John and that, that idea that in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was Jesus. So it's no surprise that you can't shut the crowd up because they, they see something very special in Jesus. They're praising him because of what they've seen him do and they're praising him because of who they see that he is. But even if they could keep quiet, the rest of creation, which Jesus had a hand in, can't shut up about its creator. Creation doesn't keep quiet. Even if you, you lost all the noise we humans make, creation is still humming and rustling away. I discovered this to my cost last year. Um, for complex reasons, we looked after a hamster, and it was actually the Archbishop's grandchildren's hamster. I called it the Archepiscopal Grand Hamster. <laughs> it was an incredibly noisy creature. All day it slept, so you thought, great, this is going to be a breeze. And then all night... It scurried around, it used its wheel, it put all its bedding in its wheel. An absolute nightmare. It sucked noisily on the bottle. At points, it drove me crazy. But what that hamster was doing is exactly what that crowd was doing. It was busily making a noise in praise of its creator. Creation never shuts up. Creation never is intimidated into silence. Creation doesn't hold back. Psalm 19 says the heavens declare, they shout out the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And Jesus says, don't rebuke the crowd for shouting out its appreciation to me. The crowd is just taking its place in all of creation. It's just joining all of creation to worship me. So I want to say what we do here on a Sunday night matters. As we sing, as we lift our voices, this is not wasted time. It may feel like it sometimes. This may be the last place we want to be right now. We may have lots of other things we want to be doing. Or lots of other things we ought to do. And even if you feel uh, that you can't sing, that you don't have a voice. Even if you feel sometimes you can't lift your voice, your presence here amongst people worshipping Jesus, is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Better in one, is one day in God's house than a thousand elsewhere. Of course, worship is something that happens throughout the week in all of our lives, as we go to school or college or work, as we live for Jesus wherever he's put us. But there's a power in our worship together as a crowd. It is our purpose. 
It is what we were made to do. And if we didn't do it, the stones in this ancient old church would do it for us. It matters. It has eternal ramifications. We join with millions, with billions. We join with creation. As we, with that crowd, honour the king. As we, with that crowd, lay down our cloaks, our lives at his feet. As we, with that crowd, wait in expectation. Maybe even join him in the working towards that last piece of that puzzle, that shalom. As we join him in building his kingdom. So I guess I want to leave us with two quick challenges. And the first would be, where are we in this picture? If you imagine that picture of Jesus on the donkey riding to Jerusalem, where are we? Are we the crowd? Are we the crowd laying down our cloaks before Jesus? Are we stood there on the edge, wondering why Jesus picked a donkey rather than a war horse. Why couldn't Jesus do things our way? Are we telling the disciples to pipe down? Where are we in this scene? A second challenge I was reflecting this afternoon reminded that where does this scene go? This scene goes to the cross. And so the question is, will we go with Jesus, this amazing peacemaker, saviour king, who demands our worship? Will we go with Jesus where he goes? Will we give him that worship in all circumstances? Will we follow where he leads? Through the Garden of Gethsemane? Through the court? To the cross? I'd love to pray for us before we move on in our service. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do shout out our praise with all creation and where we hold back, Lord, forgive us and help us to be all in. Lord Jesus, we do long to lay down our cloaks, our lives, our resources before you as that red carpet. Lord Jesus, We do long to crown you as king in our lives beyond all other things. We do long to name you as Lord. Help us, Jesus, as we take the next step with you in this journey to the cross. Help us to follow where you lead, wherever you lead. We worship you this evening.
we join with creation this evening. And we long to join with you. To walk with you this week. Amen.